0: 7th parallel on America's haunted highway. It's pixelated paranormal. Your guide to the unusual and the strange.
1: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal. Your guides to the unusual and the strange. And this is episode number 45. Dude, before you know it, we'll be 50. <sighs> yeah, dude, we're coming up close on that. can 45 and feeling alive. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Yay. Yeah, yay Tuesday. So, again, it's just Presto and I. We don't have any adult supervision, which sometimes is a good thing and sometimes it is disastrous, but... Rob uh, had a couple more things to take care of before he can jump back on the show with us, so we uh, anticipate him coming back real soon. You know, uh, on Facebook right now, there's all those little like uh, videos uh,
0: roaming around from Stranger Things 2, and it was mm-hmm. like, Dad Steve, and so mm-hmm. it's always Steve giving the pep talk, and then it's like, you know, the worst <laughs> dad flash. I really want to make a, a video of Rob of that, like Dad Rob, since we <laughs> right. you know, we need adult
1: supervision. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's awesome. Well, speaking of Rob, though, he has been quite the busy bee. He, along with Stephen and Corey, teamed up, and this is their second year of doing the O! Pixelated Sausage Indeed fundraiser for Extra Life, and the guys uh, played video games for 25 hours straight, uh, taking just a couple breaks here and there between the three of them. And for 25 hours, they live-streamed their video gaming and their tabletop gaming, and they raised over a thousand dollars for CMN. Booyah. Yeah, that's pretty damn awesome, man. A lot of people were uh a lot of people were giving them a little bit of flack about why the hell would you want to play video games for twenty-five hours? That just seems kind of dumb. Yeah, it seems really dumb to raise a thousand dollars for freaking sick kids. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, real dumb guys. You guys are a bunch of big dum dums. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, congratulations. That's fantastic. Um it's a pretty awesome fundraiser. And really, like you're doing a lot of good. This is my answer to why would you play 25 hours of video games? If you're gonna play video games anyway, like if that's your hobby, why the hell wouldn't you try to raise money? Yeah. Like if I could raise money for charity by live streaming drawing and designing and whatnot, and and you too, if you could live stream painting, yeah. Why wouldn't you? I'd so, do it. Yeah, you bunch of naysayers. They raised over a thousand dollars in 25 hours. By just playing video games, and then Rob uh, Rob streamed a tabletop game he held, kind of like a and d role-playing game that fell off the tracks rather quick, but boy, was it a fun ride. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, congrats, guys. We are super proud of our brethren um, in podcasting and gaming, and hopefully next year you and I can jump on board with that as well, and we can try to hit about 1500 bucks. <sighs> yeah, as long as work doesn't get in the way. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll plan on going to Kentucky next year and joining the guys, or they may have it here, but... Because of stupid internet rules, we have data caps here, so um, I think the guys used, would they use a full terabyte? Yeah, they used a fuck of, of data. Good God. But I mean, you know, you got cameras and cell phones streaming and three guys using three video game systems. You're going to use a lot of data in that, so yeah, we're super proud and uh, yeah, way to go guys. And hopefully, hopefully we'll get Rob back on here. It feels like it's been forever, not only since we had Rob, but since we recorded last. Yeah, it has. does it feel like it's been a long time? I think it's because October we
0: did like Bam Bam, like four shows in October, and yeah, we recorded like five shows in a row. Now we're just kind of five back weeks. to every other week, and it's
1: it's like uh, yeah. it's
0: a long time since I've
1: seen that face and heard that voice. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting paranoid uh, today. I was like, I think we missed a week. It just feels so weird. But no, we're we're right on track. Yeah. This will come out on what the twenty second, twenty third. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> yeah, right before... Oh, I guess it's going to be like the 21st. Right or, before Thanksgiving. A couple days before Thanksgiving. So, yeah, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hope it's going to be a good one for you, and we just can't wait to... Get fat and eat lots of turkey. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a Harry Potter-esque themed uh, Thanksgiving with my folks and my uh, my immediate family on this Sunday. Cool. A couple of days ago for the listeners. Yeah, we're going to have like some shepherd's pie... And I think some bangers and mash. I'm going to try to make some kind of um, butter beer and whatever else people want to make. So we're kind of excited about that. I I hate Thanksgiving dinner. I don't know why. I think it's just because 32 years of eating turkey over and over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. And then if you have, you know, uh, a significant other whose family you have to go to separately, it's just it becomes way too much turkey. Yeah and then Christmas is like right around the corner, and then you got to eat that stuff all over again? Fuck that noise. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) See, we're actually really lucky because um, in my family, we've always celebrated Christmas early, so at least like a week or two early, because Uh my uh, grandmother in Augusta, uh, we would do Christmas with her, and then traditionally Mm -hmm. we would go to my mom's family um, in Emporia on Christmas Day. And uh, so we always had this tradition that, you know, my grandmother was cheap, and my dad's a cheap bastard, so we would just order pizza, and uh, <laughs> nice. so for Christmas, even to this day, we just order a couple pizzas. Everybody eats a Pizza Hut pizza, or, you know, when we had big cheese in Andover, we did a big cheese pizza,
1: mm. mm-hmm. and uh, that's how we celebrate Christmas. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You want to hear a funny story about how I was accidentally racist one time? <laughs> <laughs> so... um Back in, like, high school, like, junior or senior year, um, my buddy Josh and my buddy Tim and my other buddy Josh, they're all um, Hispanic. You know, their their grandparents are Hispanic and whatnot. And um, the two Joshes were talking about how they couldn't wait for Thanksgiving because their grandmothers were going to make, like, chillerianos and quesadillas and enchiladas and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, huh, I guess if you're Hispanic, you're going to have Mexican food for Thanksgiving. So when I saw my friend Tim the other day, I'm like, I wonder what Tim has for Thanksgiving. Hey, Tim, what are you guys going to have for Thanksgiving? And he just looks at me and he's like, we're going to have fucking turkey like everybody else. <laughs> and I was like, turkey? And he's like, the fuck can I have turkey for? And I'm like, oh, that was accidentally racist.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, it's pretty great. I just assume because two guys had uh, Mexican food for dinner on Thanksgiving that every person who was from <laughs> Hispanic descent had to get uh, mm-hmm. Mexican food that day. So, well, I suppose we should jump into some news. Let's do it. All right. So first up, I found this headline, hundreds of skeletons reportedly found on mysterious murder Island. Ooh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and basically over in Australia, um, an island had been discovered, and it says beneath the sand of the picturesque island chain lies a brutal and bloody past that is still being unearthed today. Scientists are still discovering full skeletons that lay buried in the little-known Murder Island almost 400 years after Australia's first and largest mass murder. The mutiny and massacre that occurred on the Dutch sailing ship at Batavia in 19. 19- Oh, holy crap, not long ago. 1629 in Australia's bloodiest shipwreck has recently been discovered. After making her way south, the Batavia ship struck the reef 25 miles off the coast of western stern Australia near Hotman-Abralhos Islands. Good God. Sorry. (laughs) That thing is brutal. It's a chain of islands 122 islands long in the Indian Ocean. About 40 people were drowned trying to make their way to land after the ship crashed, but those who survived all swam to a nearby Beacon Island, later named Batavia's Graveyard. Oh, okay, so, sorry, Batavia was the ship. Later named Batavia's Graveyard, the ones who survived, however, were in for the worse. As they waited to be rescued, 125 men, William... (laughs) Man, I can't read for shit tonight. (laughs) 125 men, women, and children were slaughtered by mutineers over the course of three months. Some women were kept alive to be repeatedly raped and tortured. The incident had been likened to a real-life Lord of the Flies. One reporter returned to the murder scene years later with archaeologists from Australia and the Netherlands and are currently trying to find out how the victims lived and died. He says, I think it's interesting that the burials over here were all facing... The other direction, and I don't really know what that means. We are clearly in a graveyard, but they've all been buried in different ways. Totally Lord of the Fly stuff. Dutch maritime archaeologist Wendy von Dorgan, said that her work was about to be said her work was about honoring the victims. And blah 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 stuff that's kind of boring. One thing from this skeleton we found, it's a male individual. The bones are very robust. It's very odd, and it shows that the sand and dirt on the island had the perfect alkalinity levels to preserve human skeletons. So that's kind of cool. 400 years ago, practically, this thing happened, and they're finding bones of bodies that are almost preserved like they died just a few years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: Pretty neat. It's, Um, It's like a time capsule. But Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, pretty much like a tropical time capsule. Hmm. That's got to be pretty freaky, man, to come across, you know, just out there doing archaeology and come across a a scene like that. Just hundreds of bodies. Here's one. Here's two. 20, 30, 50. Holy crap. Hmm. The bodies hit the floor. (laughs) (laughs) God. Oh, good job for you. Good job. Well, what you got? What you got for news?
0: Well... If we look up into the sky, it's a bird. Wait, it's a plane. Oh, no. It's just the Navy drawing a penis in the sky with an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) Navy officials have confirmed that a giant penis that appeared in the sky over Okanogan County in Washington State on Thursday was indeed drawn by its pilots. (laughs) <laughs> Many local residents spotted the phallic skywriting and some posted pictures of it on social media. The Navy apologizes for the irresponsible and immature acts of Lieutenant Commander Leslie Hubble and told Buzz- BuzzFeed News. Hubble also confirms that the crew has been grounded for the stunt. We hold our air crews <laughs> to the highest standards and we do not find or we do find this absolutely unacceptable, said the Navy. So, it looks like the Navy is a cock blocker. <laughs>
1: Aww, Aww. Bummer, dude. Bummer, dude. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's fantastic, man. It just yeah. goes to show that penis jokes are funny no matter how prestigious your job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did that happen? Just recently in the last couple of weeks? Uh,
0: let's see. Let me scroll back. Uh, uh, yep. November the 16th. So, that was yesterday at 3.03 p.m.
1: That's fantastic. Well, um, it's funny. That's a great – I didn't know you were going to talk about that. That's a great uh, (laughs) story in relation to my next uh, news story because, Preston, it wasn't the airman that actually drew a penis. But instead, it was a giant mutant Vladimir Putin with bear claws and eagle's wings soaring through the sky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there is a European artist right now who's on the chopping block for producing (laughs) – What this article calls, No Nads Vlad. (laughs) Bizarre statue of naked Vladimir Putin with bear claws and no testicles could land this sculptor in jail for utter disrespect.
0: So check this out. I don't even know what a Putin is. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) So this bizarre statue of Vladimir Putin is depicted as a giant bear with eagle wings, no testicles, holding a sturgeon – And this work of art could land the creator in a vat of hot water. Sculptor Viktor Kropachev, who claims he was just seeking to impress Russia's leader, could even be arrested for disrespect and given hard labor in Siberian prison camps for his utter disrespect to their leader. This iron-coated creation called Brain Strength and Soul shows a less than impressive penis between Putin's bronze legs, and many people on social media are having a heyday. One said, "I don't think Putin will be happy." <laughs> one said, <laughs> "One says I don't think Putin's going to be very happy being depicted without any balls." Another outraged social media thruster said, "Is this actually legal to cripple the image of the president of Russia in such a way?" But uh, this particular statue has been quite the hot topic in Russia after the picture went viral.
0: I mean, don't we do shit like
1: this all the time in the United States and, like, nobody gets their titties in an uproar? Well, in a sense, yeah. And I'll get to that here in a minute. (laughs) Um, Some people are calling the artist um, a criminal and that he should be jailed with one calling for a sentence of 10 to 15 years for disrespecting Putin. The undaunted Kropachev told the social media that he wanted to be the president, that he wanted to present the statue personally to Putin. He claims their creative work is a symbol of Russia under Putin. It has to do with the body of a bear, his left leg standing on a treading eagle whose wings are on the beast's back. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, what he did there. But hey, you know what? Yeah. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder.
0: I mean, artistically, the eagle, he's just saying Putin has no balls and is running the country like shit.
1: <laughs> step up you take know, care of america putin if that's how you want to interpret it <laughs> um, the eagle is a symbol of russia's external enemies he said in his paws the putin bear holds a sturgeon a symbol of the region of astrakhan where the volga river flows in the caspian sea standing next to this monument he said every detail in the sculpture is important and has its own meaning some details even have several meanings the body is of a bear, a symbol of Russia. Our president is running our country as he rules over us. He did not comment on the meaning of the statue's modest penis or absence of balls. Like he said before, it has many meanings. <laughs> Russia has a history of statues with leaders in almost every town and village having monuments to Vladimir Lenin, the Soviet founder in the communist era. Statues of Stalin were almost all removed when he denounced himself, or when he was denounced by Nikita Khrushchev, or however you pronounce that name. So far, Putin has discouraged monuments of himself. Penalties allow for one year's worth of corrective labor for those convicted of insulting a president or other top officials, although tougher sanctions can be planned. So, yeah, there's a very creepy statue of Putin with a bear's body, tiny peen, no balls, and eagle's wings. And he's also stepping on an eagle <laughs> underneath one of his bear talons. Yeah. That's his way of saying, fuck you, America. Yeah. <laughs> so let's keep on talking about art, shall we? Yeah. Because you brought up a good point. This kind of thing happens all the time in the U.S. And it happened not too long ago, if you remember, about a year ago. There were, what, four or five statues that appeared? Five statues that appeared in New York and across the U.S. of a butt-ass naked Donald Trump. Dude, I totally missed that because I don't even remember that. I'm sad now. <clears throat> well, buddy, have I got you covered. <laughs> I will send you a link of 11 photos of New York City's naked Trump statue. <laughs> five identical statues of a new Donald Trump have appeared overnight on street corners in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Cleveland, Seattle, and New York City. Now mind you guys this did happen August of 2016. So The Washington Post reports that an anarchist group called the Indecline is responsible for the statues and are calling this project The Emperor Has No Balls. The name is obviously a throwback to the famous fairy tale, "The Emperor Has No Cl- uh, The Emperor Has No Clothes." In this case, the emperor had no clothes, um, in which a narcissistic emperor gets conned into strolling amongst his people in the nude. An anonymous spokes- An anonymous spokesperson for InDecline told The Post, "Like it or not, Trump is a larger-than-life figure in a world of culture at the moment. Looking back in history, that's how those figures are." Mem- That's how those figures are memorialized and idolized in their time, with statues. It's not the first time they have gone after Trump. Protesting several comments that Trump made about Mexican immigrants being rapists, they spray-painted a caricature of Trump with a ball gag in his mouth on the border on a wall in Tijuana, accompanied by the phrase, Rape Trump. In Decline had hired Los Angeles-based artist Ginger who specializes in haunted house and horror movie work to make statues. You can read more about Ginger and the project over on the Washington Post and take closer looks of the statue by looking below. So this statue is kind of like a papier-mâché statue, and they made several of them, and they just kept finding themselves throughout New York City and the other cities I listed. And it's Donald Trump with a great big old belly hanging over um, nice, lush, red pubic hair and again tiny little ween no testicles hmm. so i find it's kind of strange that both these statues show two leaders without testicles and tiny manhoods
0: i think it's uh you know it's just people artistically stating their views on how they're leading they're not leading with balls they need to man up
1: <clears throat> mm-hmm. i would agree I would agree. Now, I I can't find the tweet, but there was actually a tweet. Um, Yeah, here it is. The Parks Department in New York City also had a tweet in replying to what had happened. And I love how just mm, tongue-in-cheek they are about it. (laughs) The tweet says, quote, New York City Parks stands firmly against any unpermitted erection in city parks no matter how small <laughs> <laughs> oh zing <laughs> yeah so yeah i as soon as i read that about the putin statue it reminded me basically of this man cut and copy paste it except there wasn't five you know cities or five countries it was just uh you know just one statue but
0: that's the shit we're talking about donny <laughs> that's
1: become our catchphrase that's the shit i'm talking about donny <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what do you think man should somebody be able to be um i don't know thrown in prison for no artistic views i don't
0: think so either no i mean uh the you know like going through art school we talked about the uh, degenerate art show and how yeah. like you know hitler made fun of these artists and put them in concentration camps and uh you know, you know that's that's basically that that's that's the artist's voice. That's that's their right to produce uh-huh. their artwork. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, here in the states, we talk about that's one of our constitutional rights, like freedom of speech. And uh, you know, I think that should be in every country, really. I mean, your art is your your freedom of sp- your f- freedom of speech. It's your expression, right? And uh, you can't fucking throw somebody in jail for that if they want to say Putin needs a rule with some balls and uh, let them make a fucking statue.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Everybody's entitled to their opinion.
1: Yeah, censorship is a very, very icy hill to try to climb. And I don't know. I don't – man, I just choked on the kombucha I was drinking. Um, I don't think just depicting somebody in a statue, if there's no real like physical threat to the individual, really deserves any kind of jail time. I know – call them out, slap them on the wrist and say don't do it again, but – Jail time, man. There's there's worse things that could be going on. There were uh, how many statues or how many um, like severed heads? Yeah. Whenever Trump got elected, you know they had like different severed severed heads. I forget who it was. Kathy Griffin, didn't she like do a photo shoot with some fake heads that looked like Donald Trump yeah. that were bloody and severed and faced all sorts of you know firing squads for that. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. It's artistic freedom. And no matter how you slice it, if we had a different president, if Hillary got elected, you'd have the same kind of stuff against her. So I don't know. It just seems kind of silly that we're going to be sitting here splitting hairs over it. I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with it. Nobody said they wanted to cause the guy any harm. So I don't know. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's Whatever. just like a couple of years ago. Uh, somebody uh, did that uh, pencil drawing of Brownback and it was called the King of Dicks. And <laughs> ticks all over. Dude, I fucking yeah, right. find that hilarious. Like, that's great. Yeah, that's pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, shit, dude. Let's just keep on talking about art some more, shall we? Yeah. Let's, let's um do it. We talked a couple episodes ago, several ago, with Rob about like um performance pieces, and there was a woman he had talked about who allowed people to walk up to her and do whatever they wanted to her body for like however many hours it was. Do you remember talking yeah. about something like that? Yeah. So um oddly enough. The singularity was in tune because Shayla has been listening to this song a lot lately on uh, Sirius XM, and it's called "Uleo," and it's by a band called "How I Became the Bomb." And I thought it was a pretty cool. Song kind of reminds me of like a I don't know easy listening, pure moods from like the '90s. <laughs> and the lyrics are kind of pretty. It talks about like uh, two two people meeting up after a long time and then asked to see each other walk away, whatever, blah, blah, sappy love song, blah, blah. And then we read more about it and it has to do with, um, an artist named Marina Abramovich. Have you heard of her performance artist? Nope. Okay. So Maria Abramovich was this performance artist and people call her kind of like the grandma of performance art since she had so many pieces that she did of installation slash performance. And, She, I think, was the artist we were talking about whenever Rob was talking about the woman who allowed people just to do God knows whatever they wish to her for six hours. And I I found more information about it. And essentially, going back to that piece, here's exactly what it was. In the headline reading, artist stood for six hours to let people do what they want with her body. The results of such a performance piece are heartbreaking. Many people hail Abramovich as the grandmother of performance art because, after all, she's been staging thought provoking pieces for over 40 years. During the premiere of what she calls Rhythm Zero, an installation performance piece, Abramovich stood still for six hours straight while the people who came to see her were urged to do whatever they want with her using any one of 72 objects that she had placed on a table. So she stood there fully clothed, um, like a statue, in a room in this um, museum, and she had a table set out, and there were instructions. On a bulletin board, it says instructions. There are 72 objects on the table that one person can use on me as desired. Performance. I am the object. During the period, I take full responsibility, duration 6 hours, 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. Some people made her sit down so they could humiliate her. There was like a glass of wine, glasses of water, and stuff like that. And it shows pictures of her sitting down, being chained around her ankles, and people pouring wine and water over her head, her makeups running. Among the things on the table, objects of pleasure and objects of destruction could be found. Among harmless objects, there were feathers and flowers. There were also whips and other kinky items. Dangerous items including knives, razor blades, and also a gun with one bullet. People changed her position. They picked her up, they bent her around, they moved her around like a marionette. What happened over the six hours was horrifying to say the least. Because you and I know this as artists, because we're pretentious, um... When you can abuse somebody and move them around, and that's just human nature, that's not artistry, people tend to get a little bit dastardly in what they do. Um. People begin to attach things to her, tie ropes around her, tie ribbon around her, chain her knees together, chain her ankles together. Things begin tamely, one artist critic says. Someone turned her around, someone thrust her arms in the air. People began to then touch her intimately. One man used a razor... To make a cut along her neck and apparently after that people started drinking her blood so she said she would basically vouch for anything that happened take the blame and during the third hour all her clothes had been severed from her body with razor blades and scissors during the fourth hour the same blades began to explore her skin minor sexual assaults had been carried out on her body she was so committed to the peace that she would not have resisted rape or even murder Things got worse, however, in the last two hours. I think it was right around like the fourth hour somebody took a gun and actually pointed the gun at her and loaded the bullet in the gun just to see if she herself would pull the trigger. And so keep in mind, she committed fully to this piece, and if she died I think she was so invested in this piece, that was the way the art project went. Holy shit. Yeah, it's pretty fucked. Um, Basically what happened is they put the gun in the chamber, and they put the uh, they put the bullet in the chamber and put the gun to her neck and put her finger on the trigger. And then I guess things got too real. And the actual museum officials ran into the room and put a stop to it, yelled at the guy, grabbed the gun, threw the gun out the window. And then people kind of calmed down and let people get back to brass tacks. But, um, she quotes after the fact of what happened, I felt raped. They cut off the clothes. They stuck me with thorns of a rose in the stomach. They aimed a gun at my head And another came apart. Some men had undressed me and groped me. After the six hours are over, she's just, you know, covered in blood and makeup and God knows whatever else they did to her. She's got, you know, a rose kind of stuck to her chest, like the thorns have been stuck into her. Um, She's just bruised, bloody, kind of gross. And when the six hours are over, she then kind of came back to life and she began walking around the room. And what's interesting about this piece is, you know, performance art. It's all about the emotions of the viewer, not so much as the artist, but the viewer and how people just kind of change and morph. And she said it's very interesting because she observed that people wouldn't look at her. They didn't want the confrontation. The same people who, you know, put their hands, I'm assuming, down her pants. Um, It definitely says that her breasts were groped. Couldn't look at her in the eye all of a sudden because now she's no longer the object. She's the actual you know, individual, the artist walking around. And she said people couldn't be held accountable or judged for what they did. Some people just had to leave. They ran out of the room as soon as she kind of came back to life. And a lot of people um, basically wanted to forget how they had hurt her and couldn't really live with what they did. So it's pretty creepy. I don't know. I don't know if I could have watched it. I probably would have, but it would be super creepy at the end just to see her pretty much judge everybody for what they did. And she says at the end, this work reveals something terrible about humanity. It shows how fast a person can hurt you um, under favorable circumstances. It shows how easy it would be to dehumanize a person who does not fight, who does not fight back or defend him or herself. It shows that if he provides the stage, the majority of normal people apparently can become truly violent. So I think that's a little bit more in depth of what happened for that performance piece that um, that Rob was talking about that time. So. I think I'm pretty sure that she's still active, but let me let me get back to what I was getting at here with that song too. Um, Rhythm Zero happened in 1974, so she was kind of you know getting her stride and becoming very popular and hitting a lot of thought provoking nerves. Um, a couple years later, after moving to Amsterdam, she met up with this other performance artist from Germany named I think it's Ue or Ua Lespian or Lesapian, and he just goes by a single name of Ule. And they decided to work together. So they moved in together. They started doing different collaborations. And the whole idea of moving in and their relationship itself was kind of an art piece. It's two artists living together kind of – I'm going to assume doing what you know adults do and they move in together. But the idea was just to see how two different cultures could come together. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll kind of skip a lot of this here and just say you should check it out. Um, listeners, Marina Abramovich – and Ulay, look him up. It's some pretty cool stuff. But after living together for several, several years, um, as you know, a lot of relationships go. Things kind of had their high notes and their low notes, and in the end, they both decided. I think around 1988, um, things were getting really tense, and they decided they should probably end things and just kind of call a halt to the spiritual journey that they were having. So as one last performance piece, because they'd been through so much and definitely do look this up, especially you Preston, there's some pretty awesome stuff they did together, really thought provoking stuff. Um, they decided to have one last performance and they were going to walk across the entire great wall of China in a last piece. They called lovers. They each started at one opposite end meeting in the middle. One of them started, it says um, at the Gobi desert and the other from the yellow sea, and they just walked and walked and walked. And I think that's kind of cool because it's thought provoking. You have that much time to sit there and think about what you're going to do in the whole relationship. And you probably have highs and lows. And maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we should do this. And on and on and on. And then, of course, you guys have both committed to this project. So when you get to the end, there's no backing out. So um, they come together. And I believe there was, you know, an embrace, so to speak. And then they're gone. They don't see each other. That was in 1988. So what the hell has Sean been rambling about, you probably ask yourself? Yes, I am. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. How does this come full circle? All this and more on the next episode. No. So it comes back to that song, Uleo. This song by this band called How I Became the Bomb pretty much depicts the next performance piece these two had together. So what's really badass is this music video kind of depicts – the next performance piece that the two artists did together unbeknownst to Marina in 2010, as part of her MoMA retrospective museum of modern art, the artist is present. Marina shared one single 60 second minute long silence with each stranger who opted to sit in front of her. So yeah, she sits there in this chair and you could walk up in front of her and sit down. And it's really interesting because she would start with her eyes closed, open her eyes, and she would just stare at you as the viewer for 60 seconds straight, blinking, staring, smiling, doing whatever. And it's just kind of invoking this thing of you sitting in front of a stranger for 60 seconds. I'm sure it, it's uncomfortable. It's odd. It's strange, kind of exciting, kind of sexy, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the day progresses, of course, this whole thing gets recorded. People come and go and come and go and come and go. And you have to stay committed to the piece, right? We all know this. You can't break character. You can't say anything. You can't You know, break out of this and run out of the room screaming or crying, no matter what happens, right? Well, some of you can probably kind of guess what happens next after several people sitting in chairs staring at her. 22 years later, Ule comes bebopping in and his wry boyish smile and sits down in front of this chick. So, during this performance piece, man, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. She's just sitting there. Can't do anything, can't say anything, and here comes the love of your life from 22 years ago and sits down in front of you in this chair. And the music video is pretty badass because it conveys the entire, you know, 60 seconds she has with him. And it goes from like, holy shit, I can't believe this, to kind of like maybe some anger and then some smiles and then, of course, tears. And the whole time she's being tormented because she can't get up. You know, she's stuck there watching this dude. So, where this all went and where this all goes (laughs) is this song, How uh, I Became the Bombs, Uleo, is basically a story of what it's like to, you know, walk across this great wall, say goodbye to your lover, only to have them show up again. And then you have 60 seconds with them and then they're gone again. Wow. So that may have been a bit of a ramble, but <laughs> I hope people got what I was getting at here. But, yeah, pretty badass. Yeah. Check it out, How I Became the Bomb, Ule o Watch the music video, folks, because it tells you kind of the whole story. And it's super cool, man. As an artist, I love performance. I love installations. And that was kind of cool to see. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Well, I've got more art talk because why not just have a whole half hour dedicated to art? yeah. No, this one's pretty easy. Um, Recently, a grasshopper has been discovered that had been stuck in one of Van Gogh's paintings, and it's been there for 128 years. Really? Yeah, dude. Um, More than a century ago, a grasshopper found its way into art immortality. The insect has been discovered recently in Van Gogh's 19, again, time travel, 1889 painting, Olive Trees, by an official at the Nelson Adkins Museum of Art in Kansas City, Missouri. Whoop, whoop. Mm-hmm. As a part of a research project to examine 104 paintings, Mary Schaefer, the museum's paintings conservator, noticed under magnification that there was an odd-looking insect in the lower foreground on the landscape of the painting olive trees that has not been visible not been visible to the naked eye. And a close-up shows you a grasshopper. A dat-gum grasshopper. And you and I know, I mean, it's not unusual to find weird shit in paintings, especially like Pollock, man, they were like... Cigarette butts and ash yeah. and everything else in his paintings, man. Spit, blood, blood, everything else.
0: Metal flakes.
1: So metal flakes, yeah. Just whatever the frick happened. So um, Van Gogh actually reported talking about how much he hated painting outdoors in a letter to his brother Theo where he says, But just go and sit outdoors, painting on the spot itself. Then all sorts of things like the following happen. I must have picked out a good hundred flies off more than the four canvases that you'll be getting soon, not to mention all the dust and sand. <laughs> so just imagine me and Van Gogh, I'm going to go paint outside. Ah, fuck this place. <laughs> Leaves and everything fuck else. Fuck the outdoors. Yeah, that's why I paint rooms of dying sunflowers. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool, man. Like they said, it's not unusual for stuff like that to happen, but I think it'd be cool just to be sitting there, like, doing this investigative work, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, what the hell's that? It's a grasshopper! wee 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 uh, that makes it like, what, 100 and 120 years old? 120 128 years old.
0: Yeah, Fuck.
1: 128 years old.
0: grasshopper.
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay, so next up on Art Talk, and this will probably be our last thing to talk about with art, I assume. This was pretty sweet, and I'm going to start posting links in our actual Facebook page. I say it a hundred times. I'm going to start actually posting links to things uh, that we talk about. Artist uses a Ouija board and vinyl records to create dark surrealist art. Did you check out the uh, I, I sent you? Oh, that was that fucking, fucking awesome neat? shit. So. Yeah, so it turns out Ouija boards do more than just contact the dead. Describing himself as an artist who specializes in dark surrealism and pop surrealism, New Zealander Carl Ingram's most unique series is most definitely fitting that bill. What this dude does basically is spins a vinyl record covered in paint on a Ouija board and sets that on top of a fidget spinner. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. That fidget spinner is going to spin like, you know, the day is long. Yeah. Um. He he balances a Ouija board on a fidget spinner and then puts a, um, a record on it and then just squirts paint on that, mm-hmm. you know, Pollock style. Spins that puppy and makes these really cool centrifugal kind of tie-dyed, droopy, drippy uh, paintings. And once that's done, he then pulls it off, lets it dry, and then uses other paint and other secret ingredients, he says, and kind of – Enhances some of the drips and drops, and makes us these super trippy, surreal. I don't know,
0: like weird eyeball creatures and yeah, yeah,
1: skulls and like electricity storms and eyeballs and trees and everything else. It's freaking like straight out of nineteen eighties heavy metal magazine. Pretty fucking. R- yeah, it's it's really badass. We'll post uh, the pictures online on our facebook page of this but yeah it's super cool man there's a video in here and of what he does and everything else so i would totally love to check this out but at first i thought there's no way this dude makes these badass paintings just by spinning shit and squirting paint on it and then watching the video it shows you know he he spins it and gets that kind of like tie-dyed effect background and then he goes in and kind of paints and enhances the art the shapes that are already present and he enhances those and makes actual you know surreal paintings out of it so some pretty badass stuff, really, really surreal. I'd love to have it. I'm sure they're probably a pretty penny, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Orlando. Maybe Landon has seen this before over there in New Zealand. Shout out to Landon. Yeah. Oh,
0: all right. Well, what, do we, what do we what do we call our our, our uh, New Zealand brethren, Kiwis? Is that Kiwis. Kiwis.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kiwis. Well, <laughs> I think that's enough of. Uh, this installation of art talk. We'll get back into uh, what we came to talk about. And the last news story I wanted to talk about will kind of lead us into our main stories in a way. The last one I want to talk about is hospital left baffled after patient teleports into ceiling. The staff at the Stellenbosch hospital in Cape town, South South Africa (laughs) have been raffled by an unexplained mystery, seemingly torn straight from the pages of an X file script. It began earlier this month when a 61-year-old man was admitted to a separate hospital, the Parle Hospital, for undisclosed abdominal surgery. After the operation, the man was moved to the Stellenbosch Hospital for a recovery. A nurse walked in the room, checked on a man. A nurse walked in the room and checked on the man on October 5th, then left the room to fetch some clean linens. And this is where shit gets completely strange. When the nurse returned, the man was simply gone. It's like he had spontaneously disappeared, disappeared disappeared, from the hospital bed. Hospital staff and members of South African police services conducted a search of the entire facility and surrounding area, yet no trace of the body or uh, patient could be found. Thirteen days later, the man's body was found inside the ceiling of the hospital. And nobody can explain just what the hell happened. It's been described as an isolated area where the body was found, but again, inside the damn ceiling. Hospital staff and police have no idea how he could have gotten there, particularly in his post-operative state. They argue there's no way he could have woke up and climbed his happy ass up there in the ceiling without any evidence of what the hell happened. A spokesperson for the hospital says nobody has any earthly idea of what happened. Prior to his disappearance, a nurse was attending him. When she went to get clean linen the patient disappeared. Sadly, the patient's body had been discovered 13 days later in an isolated area in the ceiling, which was difficult to reach. There is currently construction work being carried out at the hospital, which also contributes to the difficulty of the search. The circumstances relating to how the patient got access to the ceiling are currently being investigated. So I don't know. What do you think? That's really bizarre. Alien abductions. (laughs) (laughs) You think so?
0: Yeah, case closed. Case closed. They uh, took him <laughs> and then they're like, "Oh fuck, we can't use this guy." And then uh, when they teleported him back, uh they, uh, you know, trajectoryed wrong and uh, he ended up in the ceiling and then since uh nobody
1: could get to him, he died. <laughs> I like that case closed. Case Completely closed. solved. Um dead it dead. is bizarre. The the headline is a bit misleading. He we don't know he teleported up there. But, you know, that's clickbait articles for you. <laughs> but it's uh, it's bizarre nonetheless. Super fucking strange. I don't know. We just watched an episode of The Good Doctor where a guy went in there with heart problems and he got spooked and didn't want to live. So he just took off and hid himself in the basement of the hospital because he wanted to die. So, I mean, let's not rule that out that maybe he woke up and thought, fuck, I didn't want to live anymore. Just let me go. And he crawled his happy ass up in the ceiling. But still, that's really bizarre. Hello, bizarre. That nobody could find him. Yeah, super wicked odd. So you're claiming aliens, huh? Yeah, I'm claiming aliens. Aliens. I would be leaning more towards foul play. Something happened and they realized, like, oh shit, we can't do this. Maybe somebody went in there and tried to kill him and it got botched and I thought the only likely way to hide him would be to shove him in the ceiling. ceiling.
0: I'm not saying it's foul play, but it's aliens.
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, you got any more? Uh- any more news you want to talk about?
0: No, the only other thing, like news wise, is I didn't read the article because um, I couldn't find it after somebody had talked about it. Uh-huh. But somebody was bitching about how there's been like this increase of caterpillars all over the fucking place. Like everywhere you turn, there's like caterpillars, caterpillars, caterpillars. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, dude, this is fucking retarded. Who the fuck cares about caterpillars? But for the last two nights, every single time we come home and we turn on the TV, like just four or five caterpillars are crawling across the carpet. Like I don't know where the fuck these
1: fucking things are coming from. But they're <laughs> all over the fucking place. So yeah. I, Okay, I what it, color are they? They're black. Are they fuzzy at all or are they more like centipedes?
0: Oh no, they're f I mean they're they're fuzzy. They're like they're, nat, fu- they're like dark brown, nasty looking fuzzy caterpillars.
1: Really? Okay. Yeah, That's all, bizarre. They're all over the fucking place. So when we first moved to Wichita, um, we had an issue when we first moved into our house of these, like, two-inch long, like, centipedes we kept finding in the house. Like, mostly in the laundry room because it was ground level. But as the winter progressed, you'd find them, like, three or four feet inside the door crawling across the carpet. And I asked a um, – an exterminator. I said, Hey man, have you had any issues with like these damn like centipedes? And he's like, Oh yeah, the red ones. And I'm like, yeah, they're like a reddish Brown. And he's like, they're not really harmful. He's like, you wouldn't want your pet to eat too many of them. And, and the way we really noticed them was our cat would be like, you know, stalking them through the house. Um, but he said, basically unofficially, there's always like a bug of the year. And like every winter or summer, there's like a bug that's just going to be worse than others. And I remember back in El Dorado, there used to be, like, hordes, literally hordes of fucking crickets in the summertime off and on. They'd be so bad. Like, you'd pull up to Quick Trip to get gas, and there'd be, like, two or three feet of them, like, piled up against any surface, like, any vertical surface. It was disgusting. So, yeah, that was, like, the bug of the year, so to speak, because he said, yeah, people are reporting all over Wichita, these little brown centipede worm things crawling through their houses and outside. And then – um I know a couple summers ago I got really wigged out because I took the dog out and on my way back up to the front door, a cockroach flew across and, like, landed on the uh, the screen door. And you and I talked about that a bit too because you had that issue as well. And I completely – I mean we, we both freaked out because it's like fucking cockroaches. No thanks. And come to find out they weren't German cockroaches. They were, like, what somebody called the blondie that I was talking to. But they're, like, a light brown um, roach and they're, like, American roaches. And they live in, like, your trees. And they're attracted to light, so whenever you turn your porch light on, they would come flying at your house. And through other, you know, again talking to um, uh, exterminators, they said they're not, they're a non-invasive, non-invading bug, basically, so they won't like come into your house and multiply like German cockroaches will. And he's like, yeah, they're just going to be really bad this summer because that's kind of like the the one bug that survived the summer. And it was just really, really shitty. And I know, like, there's been summers before where we've had those, um, I forget what they're called, Japanese beetles. They look like ladybugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But there's no spots. And I had two or three of those on my front porch the uh, other day when I came home from work. But I don't know. Those caterpillars. I, I know think
0: the, they should have turned into fucking butterflies already. Like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah. I, I know the old wise tale and the Farmer's Almanac said, like, if you notice an abundance of black woolly uh, caterpillars, woolly boogers, some people call them, yeah, um, it's going to be a very cold winter. Oh, fuck! <laughs> I want a cold winter, dude. Yeah, that's that's really bizarre, man. I haven't seen any of those. I I just saw the little ladybug, the Oriental ro- uh, Oriental beetles, or whatever they call them, Japanese beetles. But well, be on the lookout. Yeah, <laughs> I'll keep an eye out for them, Yeah, <laughs> I noticed this year I didn't see very many orb weavers, those golden and black spiders. So.
0: You know, I miss cicadas. I, I like a, a good summer where you got
1: a bunch of them fucking cicadas. Wee, wee, yeah. yeah, I heard quite a few of those this summer. Man, it's already been fifty-two minutes of recording time, and we, <laughs> shit. we haven't even got into the actual. Like, listen to us. Yeah. Just a couple, just a couple <laughs> girls, just girl talking. <laughs> Okay, so disappearing bodies led us kind of into one of our two main topics tonight. We're going to talk about different phenomenon. And the first thing I wanted to talk about, um, sparked by that, was the DOP phenomenon or the Doppler effect. And what that is is the disappearing object phenomenon or DOP. And – I've heard other podcasts talk about it, and I always thought it was kind of a cool deal because there's so many different avenues you can kind of use to explain what happened. We'll get into that um, a little bit as we talk about this. But I thought it was really cool, but I didn't really give two shits about it until it happened to me, and I'll explain that um, a little bit later. But essentially, what this is is a phenomenon where shit disappears. <laughs> <laughs> Case closed. Next. Done deal. Next. Yeah. So, okay, it. without telling the stories, have you had that happen before you at all?
0: Yeah, actually, uh Or or tell tell us about it. Who cares? Whatever. Um so my my dad gave me this ring that uh, my grandmother had uh you know, bought for him and mm-hmm. I've had this ring for like almost 3 years now. Mm-hmm. And just the other day, I can't find it. Anywhere, It's just like it's fucking disappeared. I have no idea. And it's one of those rings where, like, my fingers are really fat like sausages. So, like, when they're on, they're on. And so I have to, like, really, like, use soap
1: to get them off. Uh-huh. I have no idea where the fuck this ring went. Yeah. Okay. So – and we can describe that easy. We can completely debunk the idea of disappearing phenomenon simply as forgetfulness or a kid or a pickpocket or a drunken evening of, you know, disrobing and taking off your jewelry, right? Case closed. But it's not really that simple when you get down into it. And I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to tell my story in two parts. Um, same thing happened to us. A couple years after we'd been married, I got Shayla this ring and it's they call it a right hand ring. I don't know. It's just a real pretty ring you wear in your right hand. So Bob's your uncle. There it is. And she loved it. I think it was like a first or second year anniversary or something I got it for. And, man, she wore it every single day. And she'd wear it to the salon that she was doing hair at. And she was notorious for, like, taking it off and putting it on, like, the sink or her um, her station and then, you know, shampooing somebody's hair and then forgetting to put it on. And I was always on her, like, you have to put that in a drawer. You have to start remembering. Because there would be nights where it was, like, you know, ten eleven o'clock at night. And she'd say, oh, shit, I left my ring at work. And me knowing how much I paid for, I was like, all right, let's get in the car and let's drive up to the salon and get your damn ring. And so she wore it forever. And we had that thing for the three years we lived in our first apartment. And then we moved into a rental house and our first rental house. We didn't really like, like to me, honestly, that year is kind of a blur. But we know for a fact that when we lived on this in this house on Hauser Street, that she had the right hand ring. She was still wearing the right hand ring. So on like the one year mark, like the day it hit one year, we moved our asses out of that house because it was just a nightmare. We moved into the house that we lived in before we moved to Wichita. And about two or three months of living there, we couldn't find the damn ring. It's gone. Um, One day, Shayla said, "Uh, I think I lost my right hand ring. And I'm just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. That's what you get. You know, you always set it around. You never kept track of it. You lost it. That sucks, honey. That's just terrible. So we were both in pretty shitty moods about it. And we lived in that house for, like, I think maybe two or three years, and we moved to Wichita. And this whole time, we're both pretty, you know, forlorn about how she lost the ring. It's nowhere to be found, whatever. So I'll pause the story there, and I'll kind of get into a little bit more why we think this phenomenon is worth talking about. So I'll jump on a website here, and I'll kind of give you guys a little bit of a read, a little story time. Have you experienced disappearing object phenomenon? Do objects disappear around your home, and then inexplicably... Then then unexplainably reappear. (laughs) You may be experiencing what is now termed as disappearing object phenomenon or the Doppler effect. Here's a true story of what happened to me. Not me, but the the guy who wrote the story. One afternoon, I had just returned from shopping at my local supermarket. One of my purchases was a big old bag of potatoes – 55 pound bag of potatoes. Much bigger than a ring, folks. I carried it out from my car and brought it into my kitchen and set it on the counter. I went out to the car to collect a few more things, bags of groceries and whatnot, and returned to the kitchen. The bag of potatoes was gone. I searched the small kitchen but couldn't find the big bag anywhere. A little perplexed, I asked a friend to take a look. He showed up, thought I was an idiot, and searched the kitchen thoroughly, too, only to find... There's no potatoes in this kitchen. He's confirmed that he saw me carrying the bag of potatoes into the kitchen, and the bag indeed was gone. Later that evening, I went into the kitchen to start cooking. Lo and behold, there's the bag of taters, sitting right there on the kitchen counter, exactly where I had set it before. There's nobody else in the house besides my friend and I. We were never in the room separately. Neither one of us touched the damn bag of potatoes. Nobody entered the house that we knew. This is not the first or the last time something unexplained happened in that house. Most people report small things that have vanished unexplicably, <laughs> I'm not going to say that word again, unexplainably, <laughs> only to turn up later exactly where they had looked for it. In my case, however, my object was pretty damn big. It was a damn bag of potatoes. 55 pounds of potatoes disappeared without a trace. So, what exactly happens when this kind of thing happens? There's lots of different ways to explain it. Several possibilities. Forgetfulness. That's mm-hmm. the first one. I didn't really put the bag of potatoes on the counter. I just forgot that I even bought fucking potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Another person. Maybe another person snuck in and grabbed said bag of taters. Maybe yeah. you had. <laughs> maybe you had a five finger Frankie living next door, and he wanted that fifty five pound bag of taters more than you did. Damn neighbors. Yeah, or they just came in and borrowed it. They thought, oh, shit, I need to borrow some potatoes, and I don't know how many I want. Maybe one, maybe 55 pounds worth. Maybe poltergeists. In the case of my potatoes, I believe they vanished because of a paranormal entity. I don't say this lightly because I mentioned before, this was not an isolated incident. On another occasion, it was a 10-kilogram bag of rice that vanished hanging from another rather heavy book. Oh, and also another rather heavy book. My cats oftentimes react to unseen presences in the house, and on more than one occasion people would see a shadow person or a ghost out of the corner of their eye. Sometimes writing would appear on the wall written in pencil. Phase shifting, perhaps, Preston, maybe your long lost ring shifted into another dimension.
0: That motherfucker.
1: <laughs> Could an object temporarily shift out of space? And then thus become invisible? Certainly, scientifically speaking, it is a theoretical possibility, although it can't be proven. Another theory is science saying that we may have more than one dimension, maybe more than three dimensions we currently live our everyday lives in. Certainly, spiritual people claim to have known of another dimension out there. Could your object simply be temporarily slipping, in, in, slipping into an alternate dimension before sliding back into ours? Well, that other fucking dimension needs to give it back right now. (laughs) Right. Give us back our potatoes and our rings, damn it. Yeah. Or perchance it could be something more diabolical, Preston. Perhaps it be the little people. Ooh. The wee folk. Fucking wee folk. Fucking midgets. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say it was midgets, Preston, or little people. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking dwarfs. It's, It's the other little people. The mischievous tricksters, or perchance the elves In many cultures around the world, there is a belief that little people may be responsible. It could be fairies from Europe. It could be these fairies being blamed for taking things which do not belong to them. Could such creatures really exist in some form or another? One time, much like the potato episode, I had a 10 kilogram bag of rice vanish. I was in a rush that day and I was irritated that I could not find the bag of rice. I walked out of the kitchen, stood with my back to the door, and shouted, Stop playing games with me. I'm in a rush, and I'd appreciate it if you'd put the bag of rice back now. I turned around, went back in the kitchen. Lo and behold, the bag of rice was sitting exactly where I'd put it before. Was it one of the wee folk? Was it an elf who stole my beloved rice? Whatever the reason for objects that vanish and reappear, it has happened nearly to everybody. Could the reason be simply mundane forgetfulness? Or could it be a mysterious being reaching out to touch our lives from another dimension? What says you, Presto? Is it little people or are we just super forgetful? I'm going to go with little
0: people on this one. You think so? Yeah, I mean, being forgetful, like, eh, I mean, I could buy into it for some things. But, like, when you get in the habit of doing stuff, like, you know, when I do take the ring off, like, I have a specific spot that I set things. Right, there you go. Um, you, you Consistency know, is key. Yes. So I know that this is where it should be, and if nobody else in the house touched it, moved it, or anything like that, then logically me being forgetful is not the answer. A uh-huh. poltergeist, I mean, most people, I, I think, that study that phenomenon would link that to, uh, that's just like your inner subconscious acting out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I and usually... I. I Poltergeist is not about stealing things. It's more about causing havoc because you're under a stressful situation and it's your subconscious Mm -hmm. kind of releasing that energy.
1: Yeah, it's angsty teenagers and their hormones just raging like wicked phoenix spirits.
0: So we're going to go with uh, the little people.
1: Okay. So let's talk a little bit differently about some of this disappearing phenomenon because it's not always a case of – forgetting where you lost a ring and then you go your whole life and the ring's just gone. You lost it. Plain and simple. Uh, It's not about bags of potatoes phase shifting off of your counter only to return like an hour or two later or five minutes later because the elves discovered they didn't really need 55 pounds of potatoes. There's other strange phenomenon too which makes this kind of interesting to read. Um, There was another story I read about this girl. She was like eight or nine years old and she had a binder of Pokemon cards and I had never really Got Pokemon cards, but mine, you and me both, because we're secretly twins or lovers. Um, X-Men cards. Man, X-Men cards and Spider-Man cards, right? <laughs> yeah, buddy. So, yeah, we had our own binders Um, that had X-Men cards. It's okay. And um, that's what we collected. So it's a three-ring binder with little sheets that you put your cards on, and it's like – You know, nine different cards, three by three grid of these trading cards. So this girl was eight years old, and she lost her beloved Pokemon binder. Couldn't find it anywhere. And she is just gutted, just torn apart. She can't find it. They moved from one house to another, and that's how things get lost. That's how our ring got lost. We moved, and it probably got dropped on a street or thrown away or whatever. And we'll never find it again, whatever. So... The girl's really uh, upset. The parents go back to the old house. They search the trash. They go through the rubbish. Everything else, they cannot find this girl's beloved binder of Pokemon cards. So then, you fast forward. The girl is like eight or nine years old. You fast forward to whenever she's getting ready to go to college. So, we're gonna say ten years later. We'll just cut it and say ten years later.
0: And she doesn't even care about Pokemon anymore.
1: Yeah, she's long since cried her eyes out over her beloved Pokemon, over her beloved Pikachu, and she's... You know, forgot about him and she's chosen something else, probably pot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they go to a goodwill, like 70 miles away from the house they moved into. And you can probably see where things are going. They start kind of rummaging around all the crap, looking for a goodbye or something that somebody's discarded and they're going to get for a hell of a good bargain. And the girl, now 18, 19 years old, walks over and grabs a binder. It opens the binder, and inside is neatly uh, an array of Pokemon cards. And she browses the pages, and she notices, oh, I had some of these cards when I was a kid. Turns a couple more pages. Oh, there's an empty pocket here. Oh, they probably didn't have that one. I didn't have that one. Then she realizes the pattern of all the missing Pokemon cards were the same pattern she remembered as a kid not having. Um, then she realizes she turns to the end, and she finds several sheets of blank notebook paper um in the back of the binder just like the one she had um then all of a sudden she kind of gets freaked out she turns the binder back over and closes it and realizes it's got the same stickers completely unrelated to pokemon they were just stickers that she collected on the cover holy shit so yeah was this the binder that she lost when she was 8 years old yeah interesting Disappearing object phenomenon is not always just you losing your ring. It's this thing disappeared and somebody found it. My explanation could be simple you sold it at a garage sale on accident and somebody just discarded it or whatever. But it is kind of cool to see that holy crap, I had that. That was supposed to be mine, you know? Mm-hmm. But things get even stranger too. Um, there was a story of a woman who had a ring and she was in her bedroom. And she takes the ring off, puts it on her nightstand, and she goes to put lotion on her hands. And when she puts the ring on the little uh, nightstand, she hears it slide off the table and land on the carpet and kind of, you know, the muffled little pitter patter of it rolling across the floor. So she puts the lotion on her hands, gets down on her hands and knees, and the ring's gone. Nowhere to be seen. She freaks out. She has her husband um, go look in the air conditioning vent. Everything, high and low, vacuum, nothing, look everywhere, tear the room apart. Nothing there. She even said she went as far as to, like, dismantle the bed, thinking maybe it fell between, like, the cushion and the bed frame. It's just fucking gone. The ring she, has disappeared. She was committed at that point. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wanted out the damn wedding ring. And so months go by. Um, chaos ensues. Arguments, fights, everything. Um, they both kiss and make up, and she's just decided I lost my wedding ring. You know, I'm not the only one who does it. And then like six months down the road, when she's kind of like changing out burnt out light bulbs, the light bulb in her bedroom burns out when she turns the light on. So she turns it off. She goes to the utility closet, gets her box of light bulbs. And she um, has an old school style of light to where you have to kind of like undo a little washer and then pull the light fixture cover down like a little glass bowl. Mm -hmm. And when she pulls the glass bowl down, she unscrews the old light bulb. Puts a new light bulb in. And when she looks down to look at like the dead flies and whatnot in this bowl, this globe, her wedding ring is inside the globe of her bedroom light. Hmm. So somehow she dropped the ring on the carpet and it teleported into the globe of her bedroom light. Maybe she has super bouncy carpet. <laughs> when it hit the carpet, it was like, bing. And right.
0: right up into the light.
1: That goes into the idea of interdimensional tricksters. And that is the way a lot of people describe some of the phenomenon because it's very common for this thing to happen. In this case, she lost a ring and it ended up in a place it couldn't have possibly been. Theoretically, you couldn't have gotten the ring in there. Um, if I remember right, the actual globe was one that screwed all the way up to a fixture. Like there was no opening. So it's not like some of those this is kind of like a, a glass plate that you could throw stuff, right. you know, up into. Um, it was just simply, I mean, you couldn't have got it in there unless her husband's being an asshole and trying to be funny and puts it in there till you know, serves her right for losing your ring. But there's been other weird occurrences where – some of these are kind of cool. A guy proposes to his wife on a beach like up in like Maine and – or wherever, I don't know, somewhere on the East Coast and – she says, yes, I do. They kiss. They put a beach towel down, do their thing on the beach towel, go swimming for a while, come back, pack up their stuff, go back to the hotel room. And she realizes, oh, shit, I put my my engagement ring in my shoe, and I dumped it out on the beach because I can't find it anywhere. They rush back, flashlights. They can't find the ring. She's devastated. He's devastated. And the ring has an, uh, an engraving inside of it, like a very special, unique um, Sentenced to her, you know, one of their their sayings or whatever. And like five years later, to celebrate the five-year anniversary of getting engaged, they go back to the beach and they're walking on the beach and something's gleaming in the sand and it's her ring, right? It's her damn ring. And she's like, holy shit, there's no way. She picks it up. Yep, it's got the engraving. It's got the saying engraved inside of it. And it's got minor, you know, weather wear and tear on it, but it is her mother flipping ring so that's pretty outstanding um another one i came across that was a lot of fun was a dude was fi- and take him with a grain of salt folks you know the internet these days it could be a total lie but i'd like to think maybe they're real it's funner that way you are fake news <laughs> fake wrong um a dude's a fisherman right and he's like noodling or whatever that just sounds disgusting um, he's fishing, and he goes to get this big fish, like a bass or a trout or something like that, um, off of his his line. And when he reaches down, the fish bites his hand, and he pulls his hand back just out of sheer reaction. The line breaks. The fish takes off. And not only did he lose this big, you know, like five, seven-pound fish, um, he realizes his wedding ring is now missing, too. So this damn slimy bastard uh, sucked off his wedding ring. And he's like, you motherfucker. So again, two or three years go by and he and his wife are at a seafood restaurant and he gets the fish. And it's one of those fish that served like it's you get the whole fish and you just kind of like, you know, cut it open and eat the fish out of the, the carcass. And his knife goes down and hits something hard and he clears the guts away. And lo and behold, dude found his own wedding ring inside a fish that got away
0: the best $50
1: mill he ever had. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's the best $50 trout he's ever had. And again, supposedly the story is there is a very special engraving inside the, uh, the ring and the ring had the same engraving inside of it. So the dude ended up, you know, the one that got away, didn't get away in the end. So um, have you heard other stories like that before? Anybody ever have that happen to you? Uh, or I mean, not to you. Anybody has that ever. Fuck. If I could talk, has it ever happened to anybody you know? <laughs> No, no. No. Nothing, huh? No. Yeah, I've heard I've heard weird stories of like um or I've read weird stories. Like a lady was cooking dinner one night and she was dicing up some red onions and some bell peppers and whatnot, and like uh somebody came to the door, so she put the knife down on the counter, she answered the door, came back to the kitchen and the knife is gone. Nowhere to be seen. And she finds it like three or four days later, like under her bed. Or, you know, people have lost jewelry before in one room and then like the next day when they were getting ready for work, they put their foot inside their shoe and the ring is like inside the shoe. But it's, that's really strange. One guy found a ring and it was laced into his shoelaces, like four or five laces down from the top. So somebody, and he lived alone. He's a dude that lived by himself, he says. And he lost his ring. He took it off to take a shower and when he came back, uh, it's gone. And the next day, he's getting ready for work, and he ties his shoe, and he looks down because he feels something kind of like hitting the top of his shoe, and his wedding ring had been tied to uh, his shoe, but like four or five laces down the shoe. So could have been a could have been a trickster uh, a trickster spirit, per chance. So, well, the reason why I want to talk about it is I kind of thought this whole thing was a bunch of horseshit, and it was just fun stories, and they were cute and whatever. So, at this point. Shayla's ring, her right hand ring has been gone for probably five or six years right? Um, We're still both a little bit upset about it, still bummed out it's gone. Um, One day, probably six months ago we had just gotten back, I think we just got back from Florida and part of our luggage is what we call an overnight bag and it's the bag that kind of zips up across the top and has an arm strap that you put your shampoo and everything else in it and on the back side of this overnight bag is a pocket. that doesn't zip. It doesn't seal. It has one little snap in the middle of it. So you might put like your your passport or some paperwork or whatever in this in this pocket. And we're at home, and Shayla's in the office, and she's like unloading like her hairspray and stuff like that into her little uh, her her um, countertop that she puts her stuff on. And I'm in the bathroom, and all of a sudden I just hear her like scream like get in here. But it's almost kind of like she saw a ghost or there's somebody like hiding in the closet kind of thing. Come barreling around the corner. And I'm like, what? And like her hands are trembling and she's crying. And in her hand, she's holding her right hand ring. And she says that she opened that back pocket to pull out just random paper and trinkets and, you know, trash receipts that we shove in there. Mm-hmm. And when she undid the snap and she pulled the two pocket um, pieces away, the ring was sitting there on top of a pile of papers Crumpled up receipts and everything else, just staring at her right in the face. And it's really bizarre because I would like to think she would never put the ring in that pocket because the pocket doesn't zip. It doesn't shut or clasp. It just kind of like lays flat against itself with one little magnetic button in the middle to hold it shut. Since she lost that ring, that ring has been to, or that bag, that overnight bag, has been to Chicago. It's been to Phoenix. It's been to Texas a couple times. Um, It's been probably aboard three or four different planes. We just spent a week in Orlando. Mm -hmm. So this bag has tumbled and rolled and been tossed and dropped and kicked God knows how many times, right? And I find it very odd to be able to find that ring in that pocket of all the pockets and not have been lost. So I don't know say what you want. I'm not saying it was <laughs> elves. I'm not saying it was the wee folk, but it made me get a little more fascinated with this whole disappearing object um, phenomenon because I find it hard to believe that it stayed in that pocket for five or six years being as though she's been on countless plane rides for work and we've been on countless vacations and I'm, I tossed that puppy. I know that in a plane i we've seen people load planes and luggage. It's just, throw it, kick it, toss it, roll it, drop it, whatever. It's really bizarre to me to see that ring after like five or six years to have been in that bag the entire time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there you go. Maybe not paranormal, maybe paranormal. Look it up sometime. You're going to go paranormal. (laughs) Look it up sometime. Um, Get into it. Look up, you know, DOP or disappearing object phenomenon. Um, There's stories everywhere. And some of them are kind of cool. You know, some people lost rings, found rings. Some people don't. Some people lost an entire fucking bag of potatoes. <laughs> and
0: there's, a, there's a saint, like St. Saint Michael, St. Saint Vincent, St. Saint uh-huh. Paul, Peter. I don't know. One of them you can pray to, and if you've lost something, he's a patron saint of the lost. And uh, if you give him a little prayer and uh, say, hey, buddy, help me find my shit,
1: uh-huh. uh, he'll return it to you. Here's a funny story about that. Um, I was talking to a woman the other day because um, she's one of our listeners. She's local. And she's like, so, hey, what are you guys going to talk about? And I'm like, well, we're not going to really be hitting like ghost stories and aliens on this next episode. But we want to talk a little bit about D.O.P.s. And she's like, what's D.O.P.s? It sounds kind of like a sexual thing. <laughs> and I'm like, no, what it is, is, you know, you lose something and you find it later in a weird place. And she said that her ex-husband used to be a truck driver. And he was also a pretty religious gentleman. And he had a ring that he loved, like his dad gave it to him or his grandpa gave it to him. And he always wore it. And he had a tire blowout on a semi. So he got down on his hands and knees and he took his jewelry off because this ring was particularly large and it was kind of constricting. So he took the ring off and he changed the tire and he got back in his truck and he drove like 200 miles down the highway. And like most of us do, like I know my wedding ring when I'm just kind of like not thinking about it. Sometimes I'll reach down with my thumb just to feel if it's there. And he had a certain like movement he did, like a nervous twitch, twitch, tick. And he noticed, oh shit, my fucking ring's gone. And this has been like two or three days later. And so he supposedly closed his eyes and made a little prayer to the saint that you're talking about, drove back, and his ring was laying right there on the highway. So I don't know. Mm, eh, eh, you know, it's got 200 miles away. The next day, plenty of vehicles have driven by. And she swears this happened to him twice. He actually lost the ring and didn't realize it for like three or four days one time. And he remembered, oh, it must have fell off when I was changing that tire. And she said he was notorious for like remembering mile markers of where he was at. It was just kind of like a thing he did. And um, yeah, he went back like three or four days later and the ring was laying right there on the side of the highway. So right there. Yeah. But she Damn. said, yeah. Um, I kinda, I was like, that's not quite what we're talking about, losing stuff and praying to find it, but that is a cool story. I'll include it in there. Um, so it's funny you mentioned that about the saint because, yeah, I forget what saint it was too, but he was a bit of a Catholic boy. And, um, yeah, prayed to the guy and found it, so. So yeah, I don't know. Um, kind of cool stuff. Look it up, guys. Check it out. It might be worth your while or you might think it's just dumb. And <laughs> somebody put a ring in luggage and we I'm an idiot for thinking it's kind of cool. So <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: mm. yeah, man, look at us. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into the last little bit here. You want to talk about?
0: Yeah. So, I, I believe it was last episode that we were talking about the Damon. Um, you know, we, we brought up that news article about, you know, how like alcohol can bring out that inner self or whatever it is. So, you know, you'd made that joke like, you know, Gary's a, Gary's an asshole when he drinks. And well, you know, maybe not, yeah. not so In much the- because drunk Gary's the asshole'cause because Gary himself, like the higher Gary is uh-huh. an asshole. And that's, you know, that's what, uh, the alcohol lowers. Uh, that inhibition or lowers the, the con or lowers that filter enough that that higher self can come through, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I was I was like, man, I, I really want to talk about the the idea of the daemon or that higher self who's in control, and uh, was uh, doing some you know Google searches for daemon and stories, and, and uh, daemon is the old spelling for the word demon, and so of course you know I didn't get shit out of Google. But I remember that uh, somebody had li- or linked the idea of the daemon to the third man effect. So I, I looked up the third man. Now, uh, the first report of a third man effect came from uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton mm-hmm. in his book called The South. And it describes his belief that an incorporeal being joined him and two others during the final leg of their journey – Shackleton wrote, during the long and uh, racking march of 36 hours over the untamed mountains and glaciers of South Georgia, which is in Antarctica, mm-hmm. it seemed to me often that we were four, not three. His admission resulted in other survivors of extreme hardship coming forward and sharing similar experiences. Now, the reason why they call it the third man uh, effect or the third man factor was uh, T.S. Eliot wrote a poem called The Wasteland, and he actually used that that term, uh, the third, and uh, he, the, the 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 poem writes, you know, I am the third, not the fourth, and so it just kind of got that phrase, the third
1: man effect. Kind of oh, okay. Yeah, because I used to always think it was called the third man effect, like a yep. man effect, the, the third man effect, but no, okay. it's like the third man effect. Right. Okay, okay. yeah.
0: And uh, so I compiled a couple of goodies um, where people have survived extreme situations, and they talk about this, this unseen being who helped them. Mm-hmm. So the first one I'm going to talk about is probably the most recent, and it has to do uh, during 9-11, and it uh, deals with a broker named Rob De Francesco. Mhm. Um so you know he was doing typical you know uh what's that uh the wolf of uh wolf of New York or whatever that stock wolf of Wall Street. Uh-huh. Wolf of Wall Street. So he's you know he's doing some wolf of Wall Street shit, you know, sitting in his office and uh the first plane hits the tower and he's looking out the window and uh over the intercom system, you know, voices like k- everybody uh, k- stay uh, calm. Uh, k- Right now, there's currently uh, no danger. Uh, re- repeat, no danger. Get back to work. So you know, he gets on the phone, and calls his wife, and he's like, uh, you know, hey, honey, uh, you know, don't, don't freak out or anything. Uh, that was the the first tower that got hit. Um, they said we're perfectly fine. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stay at work here and do some <laughs> stuff. And so he gets off the phone, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, the phone rings, and it's a buddy who's uh, you know, watching all the events on TV and he's like, no, dude, you got it. You got to go. You got to go now. I want you out of there. And so, you know, Rob starts freaking out and he's like, oh, well, you know, if you think I should go, I'll, you know, I'll step out. So he's, uh, you know, getting up and walking toward the stairwell. And that's when the, the second plane hits the, the second tower. And oh, wow. uh, from the explosion of that, it, it lifts him up and throws him into the stairwell And, you know, after he gets up out of the daze, uh, he's, you know, just kind of out of it and uh, he's in a state of shock. So he's walking down the stairs and all of a sudden these people start running back up and this lady's frantic and she's like, we can't go down. We can't go down. We got to go up. We got to go up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're on the 84th floor, 83rd floor. And so now they're going up all the way up to the 91st floor Mm -hmm. in hopes that maybe somebody can airlift them off the top of the building. And by the time they get up to the 91st floor, um, they realize they can't go any further. And there's all this rubble. They're not going to be able to get out of the stairwell. The 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 you know the heat from the, the flames is getting hotter. And uh, he starts to have a panic attack. And everybody's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. <clears throat> he says at this point, something came over him, like this wave of emotion. Mm-hmm. And th- this voice says, you got to go back down. Rob? Go back down now. And he was like, it's like somebody picked me up, grabbed me by the hand, and led me down those stairs. And uh, he said by the time he got back down to the 79th floor, he could barely breathe from all the smoke Mm -hmm. and could barely see. But something was dragging him through the the fire. So every time he would come up to a wall of fire, it's like something was pushing me, telling me, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. So he dredged through, and after going through all the flames, he made it to another stairwell and eventually came across some firefighters, and uh, they led him all the way down to the bottom of the building, and when he finally felt like he was no longer in danger, that presence, that voice that kept telling him, you got to go, you got to go, had left, and Rob was the last person out of the second tower before it collapsed.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. So all those firefighters, everybody else that decided to stay up on those stairwells, they had all perished. And it was because of that voice that drove him to say, hey, buddy, you got to go. Yeah. He was the last person to survive out of the tower before it fell.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Now we're going to go back in time a little bit to 1983.
1: Are we sure it's 1983, not
0: 1883 like me? <laughs> no, 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 1983. Okay. okay, April 1st, right? Ooh. So uh, James Figme and Richard Whitemire set out to climb the icy peaks of the Delta Mountain Range, uh, which is like uh, part Alaska, part Canada, somewhere up in there. It's like okay. a big mountain uh-huh. range. Up. And, uh, so they get up in the morning and they're, you know, they're doing their mountain man climbing thing and mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're tied together. So imagine like me and you go mountain climbing, we're going to have that rope in between us. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, Richard gets ahead of him and he's climbing up top and he's, you know, n- hammering the, the, the spike into the ice. And, uh, all of a sudden the ice starts to fall off. And uh-huh. so he, he yells down to James is like, uh, watch out ice. And so, you know, he swings over to the left real quick and misses the ice. And then the next thing, there's a giant fucking avalanche. Mm -hmm. And uh, it swept the men 2,000 feet to the bottom of the mountain. And uh, hours later, with a back broken in two places, missing teeth, fractured ribs, a broken nose, and suffering from internal bleeding... James awoke in a daze for roughly 20 minutes after noticing his friend lying in a mangled mess next to him Ooh. so had they not been tied together, Richard probably would have survived but uh, because they were tied together he you know got swept up and you know was a mangled corpse Aww. and uh, it is said that at this point, He was just like, I don't think I'm going to make it. He's like, you know, I can barely walk. It hurts to stand up. He's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I can barely see my face is so swollen. I think I'm just going to lay down next to Richard and just, you know, let it take me. Right. And so he starts to move that way. And again, this large amount of empathy just overcomes him. He starts to get this large amount of emotion and he says, I, I felt the female presence, that all that empathy had to be a female. And uh, he says, and then this voice says, you got to get up. You got to go. You got to make your way back to camp. I believe in you. And it's like that female grabbed a hold of my hand and lifted me up and made me walk, made me crawl on my hands and knees. And with a broken back and you know fractured ribs and bleeding all over the place, He uh, drudged through the snow two miles on his hands and knees to get back to camp. And he got to camp just before nightfall. But uh, because of his condition, he was unable to start a fire. And uh, the food that was there, because his face was swollen and his teeth were all broken, he couldn't eat anything. Hmm. So he's just like, fuck, I made it back to camp. And now I'm going to die. I'm not any better off than my old pal Richard. And... uh, he thinks he sees something off in the distance. He thinks he hears voices and, uh, that those voices were actually a group of skiers and they were about to move on when they heard a whimpering noise and somebody say, help over here. So they go over and they find, uh, James lying in, you know, down in the snow and kind of a putrid mess. And they <laughs> airlift them out of there, save his right? life. And he said the minute that those people showed up, that's when I felt that female presence leave me.
1: Huh? really?
0: Yeah. He was like, <laughs> I felt that third man just get the hell out of Dodge. It's like, you know, he was only there to or she was only there to get me through it and save me. And once my life was saved, she's was like, fuck it, I'm out. Right. So, let's move on. We're going to travel back in time to 1953. <laughs> And this is in July, a uh, Austrian climber named Hermann Buell Uh uh, took on the daunting task of climbing Manga Parbat, located in northern Pakistan, which is the ninth highest mountain in the world, and uh, whose name means Naked Mountain. Over 31 lives were claimed before 1953, and currently it has the highest mortality rate out of all the other mountain ranges. So this is not the place to be. No, nope. So uh, during this time, Buell and a fellow climber were camped twenty six thousand feet up, and a nasty storm was headed their way. And despite everybody else's warning not to continue, he was like, "Fuck it, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I want to get to this peak. I want to, I want to, I want to climb it. I don't care about the dangers." And uh, so they woke up, and uh, his other friend was feeling kind of ill. So he's like, "Man, I'll catch up with you later. Don't worry about it." Right. So he's like, "I, I started the climb." And uh, you know he he didn't want to take any supplies with him, and uh, he he wanted this to be a quick because of the storm. He wanted this to be a quick journey. So you know, usually when you're that high up, you have like oxygen tanks, you have supplies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you're doing everything you can to, to you know raise your survival level. Dude, he you know just basically just you know mountain man this ship. <laughs> And, uh, he was like, after a while, even though my body was telling me to stop, he was just like, no, I'm going to fucking do this. And I right. got into the zone and he was like, I, I, I pushed my body so hard that, uh, I, I shouldn't have been able to climb that mountain, but I made it to the peak. I made it to the summit and he's like, I'm up there. And I realized there's probably like this two foot of space that you can stand on. And I'm looking out and it's like, it's like gazing out into heaven. I can see everything below me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it was just pure tranquility. And <laughs> then he's like, shit, I got to climb back down now. <laughs> so, he, right. you know, he starts to climb back down and, you know, because he was ill prepared, you know, the, the, the cold started to get to him. You know, he didn't have any water, didn't have any food. He gets down to a place to where he can kind of rest for the night And, uh, he wakes up the next morning. He's, you know, his, he can't feel his feet. He can barely move his fingers. He's starting to froth at the mouth. And, uh, that's when he started to feel this, this presence. Like somebody was there, uh, with him and he got this urge to, I got to get down. I got to go. And he's like, I felt like somebody was tied to me and that if I fell, they fell And, uh, you know, if I moved, they moved and whoever this person was, even though that they were unseen, they were going to help get me down the mountain. And, uh, that, that presence kept pushing him and giving him the, the courage to make it down. And eventually he made it all the way to that base camp, 26,000 feet up. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, again, the minute (laughs) that the rescuers found him, that presence left. Oh. So...
1: So is it a fight or flight type thing?
0: Well, you know, the, so the 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 one guy that, that that wrote a book called the Third Man Effect, uh, Jim or James Geiger, mm-hmm. he he likened it to the uh, you know what you called like the guardian angel, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, when he did a TV interview, and you know the, the interviewer was kind of blasting him, he was like, "Well, you know, I think it's an evolutionary." Uh, condition that we've developed over the years, and uh, you know, you know, it's just something. It's a survival mode that your brain kicks in, and it, you know, right. makes you hallucinate. And I don't know if I agree with that because if you talk about like an evolutionary kick like that for survival, I can understand. Like you know, we talk about how like uh, when adrenaline kicks in, the fight mm-hmm. or flight. You know, uh, you know, a mother trying to save her baby can pick up a car. Right. That's an evolutionary advantage because your body's doing something, you know, in that Mm -hmm. case to make you stronger or whatever it is. But, you know, or, you know, there are people who they are about to die and they enter what they call like the zone. Mm -hmm. The flow state or whatever? Yeah. The flow uh state. So then, you know, time's able to slow down for them. So, like, you know, there's a report of a guy in World War II. Who he, he was, you know, being shot at and, you know, he was about to die, but then the flow state kicked in and he was able to navigate the airplane around these bullets. And, you know, that to me would be an evolutionary trait that we should develop as humans. Yeah. Whereas people actually state that they feel another presence, like they hear a voice, they see a voice. Uh, okay. Right. And right. so, you know, most of these stories dealt with just one person. Mm-hmm. And the last one i 'm gonna i 'm gonna tell uh, has to do with uh Henry Stoker, who is bram stoker's cousin
1: <laughs> oh yeah, and, you teased uh, me that earlier, yeah,
0: yeah, so during World War one he was a uh submarine captain mm-hmm. and for uh the the irish navy mm-hmm. and uh he was over uh kind of like the Baltic Sea area around Turkey. And he was like guerrilla warfare tactics guy. Like his job right. was just to cause trouble. And uh, so he would, you know, blow the shit out of like small ships and, you know, disrupt the, uh, uh, you know, their supply lines and things like that. He and, was just major uh, chaos. Major chaos. <laughs> and uh, he was so good at it that he became a heavy target from the Turkish Navy. Mm, and mm-hmm. eventually he had to scuttle the the submarine. And, uh, him and two other companions were captured by the Turkish army and they were held prisoner in this, uh, castle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was way up in the mountains and he was like, man, this is like a living hell. This is, this is, this is the worst situation I've ever been in and we got to get out of here. And, uh, there was a a firefight down in the village below. And so finally they're like, this is our opportunity. We're going to get the fuck out of Dodge. And so they took uh, enough like raisins and uh, hot cocoa with them. Sounds uh, like they were just
1: going to shit themselves for a week. Yeah, okay, and shit. Uh,
0: so they're like, well, you know, this is these are the supplies that we can take with <laughs> us in a hurry. This should be enough to help us survive. Yeah, and so they escaped. And then later, the uh, Turkish commander found out that they were missing. They were like, do you want us to go looking for me?" He was like, nah, eh, fuck it. He was like... Fuck uh, it, they
1: stole my raisins.
0: Yeah, they, it, they're like, you know, this is like the worst terrain to be lost in. They don't know our country like we know it. They're mm-hmm. like, they're going to have to go through miles and miles of mountains um, just to get anywhere out of the country. And he's like, they don't really have food. They don't have supplies. He's like, eh, they'll fucking die. Who cares? And so about three or four days in... Um, stoker started to notice the presence of a fourth soldier he was like i could see it out of the corner of my eyes i could see uh, that somebody else yeah, was there yeah. uh-huh. and it was like a century like he was standing guard when we moved he moved i felt like if we were in danger he would sacrifice his lives for us just like we would sacrifice our life for him you know he was the the fourth soldier in the line yeah and, uh, they, they kept going, they kept trekking and eventually somehow they made it out of the mountain range. And once they got to safety, Stoker no longer felt that presence. And a couple of days later, he found the other two gentlemen, um, in their, you know, camp after they were arrested, uh-huh. he says, I need to talk to you guys. He's like, did you guys see anybody else there? And both of the other soldiers came forward, and he's like, yeah, we we kept seeing this soldier, another soldier out of the corner of our our eyes, and we we didn't know what was going on. We thought, uh, you know, what the fuck is that? Is it an enemy? But then after a while, we started to feel peace. We started to feel, like, empathy and love, and we felt like uh, he was there to help us. And so in that case, you have three people experiencing the same entity or the same guardian so, you know, that that would be a shared hallucination, and I don't know, as an evolutionary, you know, kick, I I, I can't see us, if we we're in a life or death situation, both of us, uh, you know, experiencing the same, you know, if it's a hallucination, we shouldn't be experiencing the same thing.
1: Yeah, that's very true. That'd be kind of an so, odd, you know, must have to have, like, some kind of hallucinogenic gas yeah. or something in the area, mustard gas or something like that, so... So that's interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I've had a couple of weird things kind of like that happen. Um, I remember once, um, there was this guy and I won't get into the specifics out of respect for, um, my buddy who passed away, but there was this dude and we were buddies, acquaintances, you know, loose friends. And he and I had a pretty severe altercation and, um, said some things on the phone back and forth, real threatening to each other. It was a real bad argument. And, a um, couple of days went by and I'm just the kind of guy that like, I'll say my piece and forget about it. And if we have an argument, just, if you want to figure it out, holler at me, I'll just wait for you to come to me. And I was up one night, like super, super late and just thinking about whatever, doing whatever. And out of nowhere, um, a voice in my head is like, you need to call. And it says that says the dude's name. It's like, you need to call him call him you have to call him and it wasn't like a nagging feeling in the back of my head it was like it first started off kind of like a thought like hey you should call blank you should call so-and-so you really need to call him and it's like hours went by it was like like someone literally yelling in my ear behind me call him you have to call him you need to call him call him now and i'm like what in the hell is going on and then it just stops and I'm like, okay, that's really strange. And so I go to bed. It's like 2 or 3 in the morning. I go to bed. And the next night, I'm a, I'm a pizza delivery guy when this happened. And I'm out driving, and I've got like a 10-minute drive to go out in the country to deliver this pizza. In the back of my head, it's like I hear the voice again. This is a perfect time to call so-and-so. And I'm like, all right, this is really bizarre. Like it's not a case of like nagging thoughts. It's literally like I can hear. Like it's I can he- almost hear somebody sitting next to me yelling at me. So I called the guy up, and I'm like, hey, I uh, I think I should call and apologize, even though the thing that happened wasn't my fault. But I kind of really bit his head off for some stuff that he had said and uh, awkward silence. And finally he says, all right, man. Okay. Well, Thanks for calling. I kind of appreciate that. I'm like, yeah, you know, I just want to call and apologize for my actions. I wasn't really being, you know, uh, an adult about things. And I just like to apologize and just maybe we can have a fresh start, you know start off things tomorrow like nothing ever happened and he's like yeah i'd like that man i appreciate you calling and then you know we both apologized friends friends yeah great um and that night um like five hours later he died
0: holy crap
1: yeah he, he had passed away and i just remember thinking like just really bizarre and it's not, I'm not trying to make it a story about me because it's terrible that, you know, I had a buddy pass away, but I just remember, like, in the back of my head, this nagging things like, you have to call him now. Yeah. And it was a type of blowout where. Had I not called and kind of patched things up and he passed away, I would have probably been eaten up about like, you know, crap. I just wish I would have apologized. So it is an interesting thing. And I've never experienced really a voice in my head like that since. You know, I've never had voices ever <laughs> in my head. <laughs> but yeah, I've never had that thing ever happen since then. But I just remember how just so, so surreal it was and how bizarre it was feeling like someone is legitimately like yelling in my ear, but nobody's there. Right. So I'm pretty thankful it happened. And I just remember thinking, man, thankfully I called him because that would have been yeah. a bad deal. And I mean, hopefully, you know, we made amends and I'm glad he got to know that I was sorry for what had gone down. So kind of weird. But I mean, we talked about the flow state. You remember that thing that happened at the run we did, right? With Shayla and all that? Yeah. I
0: Spider-Man <laughs> reflex.
1: And- <laughs> yeah. Dude, that was super wicked, super crazy. Yeah, you, so I've probably told the story before, but we'll talk about this flow state and what the flow state versus that third man effect is. I have always thought of them kind of similar in a way, but you're right. I guess the third man effect is basically a third, a, another person being there is not there. Flow state is kind of like when these athletes get in this zone, they call it, and it's been kind of like coined the flow state, like basketball players. You know, when you're playing NBA Jam and they're like, "He's on fire," and you just can't miss a shot. Yep. Basketball players have talked about how like they were just on fire in such a way that it's like nobody else was around them. Like all the other basketball players were like 10, 20 feet away. They were by themselves. The basketball was like the size of a softball and the the hoop was like a hula hoop. And they're like legitimately – I couldn't miss my shot no matter where I was. It was like I was throwing a tiny ball into a giant hoop. And you've had like – Ice skaters say the same thing. They got in the heat of the moment and like the adrenaline is is at the right level and they just like zone everything out. And it's kind of like that Oz effect, like everything goes quiet and they can just meticulously think out like everything in, you know, like exact science. Like they're doing math in their head, calculations in their head and everything's perfect. And they're landing every move, textbook, perfect, perfect. Um, well, yeah. So you and I and our buddy Eric and Shayla and I think Patty was there and Aaron, we were doing a a run and we were running across a giant pile of rocks. It's a huge pile of like loose busted up concrete. And it was probably about, I don't know, six, eight feet tall and just kind of sheer drop offs. And we were making our way single file kind of scurrying across this group of rocks and the rocks aren't fixed. They're tumbling and they're moving and rolling. And Shayla, It was – I think it was Eric and then you and then Shayla and myself and Aaron was behind me. And um, we're making our way pretty steadily. And then I remember Shayla steps on a rock and her body pivots to where like she's now like perpendicular to the rest of us. And momentum – the way she slipped, momentum momentum carried her backwards. And the way she fell was like she almost sat on her butt on this top uh, I can't talk. On this topmost rock, and then momentum carried her back, and her hands go up in the air, and her feet go up in the air, and she's basically got like, all fours up in the air on her back, and she's getting ready to lean and just fall down this sheer uh, drop off of rocks. And then, at the same exact time that happened, I tripped. I stepped on a rock, and it it kind of pivoted and rolled, and I fell forward. And this all this happened right at once. And I remember stopping, and like time froze to like a crawl. And all at once I remember thinking like, well, that's – and it was very calm, very calm, collected thoughts like, oh, this isn't very good because like uh, you're falling forward and you're about to hit your face on that rock right there. And when you do fall forward, it's probably going to break your nose or – you're probably going to break out a couple teeth and this is going to be really bad. It's going to be very painful and it's going to ruin your day. Like you're having so much fun with all your friends and it going to make a really bad deal and like you signed a waiver and like all these thoughts are going through my head. And I kind of remember I glanced over and Shayla's frozen in midair and all four extremities are up in the air and the rock is pivoting and I can see like it's like Spider-Man this first Tobey Maguire movie when uh flash goes to hit him and time stops and he can see like the spitball and all the particles in the air. That's exactly how it was. And I can see like the, little, the rocks falling off of the, the rock she's on and dust. And I remember thinking like, this is terrible because when she falls down, she's probably going to hit the back of her head on a rock or she's going to break an arm or something. And if I could just reach out and just grab, I can't grab her hand. And it's just like, it's just so freaky because like in my head I'm doing calculations and like movements and angles and everything else. And it's like, yeah, I can't grab her hand. I can't grab her other hand. I can't grab the back of her head. Cause it's going to cause her body to pivot this way. And I can't grab her hair. Cause it's going to cause more damage. And I can't grab her, um, her right foot. Cause momentum will carry her body at such an arc that she'll just tumble another way. And she'll roll down the hill sideways and probably hit her face on a rock. But if I can just, yep. If I can just reach up and grab her, like I think it was like her left leg with my right hand with minimal effort, I can sit her down And with my other hand, I can reach in front of me and I can shield my face from hitting that rock and I can stand us both up and the momentum should carry her back up to a sitting position and I can let go of her and her body weight will carry her to be stabilized and I can use my other hand to catch it before my eyeball hits this other rock and I lose an eyeball. And it was just so wicked because it was literally just like – a second and it was over with. And so, yeah, boom, I reached forward and I'm like, not yet, not yet. Okay. Now just do it. And I just effortly, grab her legs, sit her up. And you guys turned around like, right. As I was just like sitting her up and then grab this rock and save my face and my wife. And it was just so weird. Cause like, I almost felt like I could stay in that moment forever and everything was just very still. And it was kind of like, not now, not now. Okay. All right. Okay. Go now, go now. And it's boom, done. And it was over. And it was just the most bizarre thing. And to me, I, it was all done. I was happy. Go lucky. Let's go. guys. Let's keep going. And you guys are kind of like, what? And my wife's oh, like oh. in hysterics and Aaron's behind us. Like, oh my God, how the, how the hell did you do that? That's impossible. And I'm like, no, not really. Cause you got, you guys didn't see. Oh, all right, Hey, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no time to waste. And then like, it didn't even hit me till like we we're driving home from Kansas city. And I'm just like, oh my God, that was almost like a, a terrible thing. So yeah, it is kind of cool. And maybe maybe it's evolutionary. Maybe it's my spider sense. I don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I remember the one time I had the third man effect slash flow state was and I told this story before the time I peed all over myself at our other house. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shayla had got home early and she's hiding in the shower. And I remember like I was standing there taking a piss. And the shower curtains closed and all of a sudden time freezes again. But this time it's almost like I heard somebody kind of like, okay, hang on. Somebody's breathing in the shower and uh, they're going to kill you and you got to get out and you got to finish peeing and you got to get in the spare room and you got to get your sword from the bedroom and you got to come back in here. and They're going to murder you and all this kind of stuff. And then Shayla ends up ripping the curtain back and scaring me and I fell down and peed on myself. (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) Good stuff.
0: I've I've probably never really – I don't remember ever having like any flow state like that. Or time like move slow, mm-hmm. but um, you know, as far as like being able to like hear a voice or anything, I, the only time that that's ever really happened was uh, being in the isolation tank. Yeah, um, I could yeah, clearly hear a voice talking to me that sounded like it was right next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeffrey had a really good. I guess you would call it kind of third man. It was kind of like your story mm-hmm. where she had a falling out with her older brother and uh, they hadn't spoken for a really long time and her uh, grandmother had passed and uh, she went to the funeral, but the brother didn't. Mm-hmm. And a couple of days after the funeral, she kept getting a phone call from an unknown number. It would just come up zero, zero, zero. And yeah. at the same time, her brother was getting a f- a uh, phone call from an unknown number mm-hmm. that was zero, zero, zero. And so after I think she said like the second or third time that they both got that phone call, they, they picked up the phone and it's like they could hear somebody on the other side, but it was like really, really muffled. Um, so they would just hang up the phone and then they, they both, uh, he decided to come back into town and it's like they they both had this nagging sensation in the back of their their head that uh you know you got to go to the you got to go to the the, the, the graveyard you got you know i got to go go see grandma go see grandma go mm-hmm. see grandma and they kept putting it off and then finally she was just like fuck it i'm going and she got there and then she turned around and then her, there was her brother and they both were kind of like, that's kind of odd that we're both
1: there. <laughs> yeah. So, odd coincidence. Same time. Yeah.
0: And they started talking and she's like, you know, I've had this really odd, I kept getting a phone call. He was like, from a 000 number. And they oh, both wow. pulled out their phone and they looked at the timestamps from the missed calls. And they both realized that they had got that phone phone call from the, that same number at the same uh-huh, time, uh-huh. and they were kind of like, "Well, maybe that was Grandma's way of getting us back together," and wow, so it's kind of like yeah. that outside force manipulating whatever's going mm-hmm.
1: on. So, huh? And they never got the phone call after that. I assume nope, never got the phone call after that. So. Uh, who was phone? Who was phone? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. I never heard that story before. That's kind of neat. And nobody else in the family was getting the nope. 000 number? Nope. That's bizarre, man. Uh, yep. They ever look it up to see, what's it mean when I get phone calls from 000?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> Who was phone? Who <laughs> was phone?
1: That's awesome, uh, dude. Hell yeah. Well, for crying out loud, we've been recording shit. for almost two hours, yeah. dude. <laughs> oh, I say if people are still on, good for you. Way like, to hang in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> man. Oh boy. We should you guys probably, are
0: dedicated. Yeah,
1: we should probably get back to some spooky shit on our next episode. We've kind of gone off onto some tangents over the last couple episodes, yeah. but. Yeah, entertainment's entertainment, I suppose. There you go. Yeah, for the price you guys pay <laughs> each month. <laughs> well, dude, have you been watching anything good lately on the um, old Teletubers? I finished up
0: Roanoke last uh, week. Yeah. Uh huh. And we started
1: Colts. Oh,
0: I'm Um, anxious
1: to see what you think of cult. I just finished that episode last night, the final episode I watched last night.
0: So we are eight episodes in, nine episodes in maybe. Fuck, you guys are
1: burning through it.
0: And uh, at first, I was just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. shit. Uh-huh. And then I was pissed for about three episodes. <laughs> and then after three episodes, I was like, holy crap, I'm actually liking this. Uh-huh.
1: It's and definitely now, a roller coaster of emotion this season. And, and now I'm getting toward the end of it.
0: And I'm like, wait, what? Why the fuck are they doing this? What? The, what yeah. The, God, come on, guys. Did
1: you watch that episode that had Lena Dunham in it? Um, it was like the weird, like 1970s female. Um, feminist Andy group, Warhol. yeah, 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 yeah. That episode itself was just—it just—I don't know. It felt yeah. so out of place. You're a turd, Sean. Say you're a turd. <laughs> and it was okay. It was a good episode for what it was. It was good, yeah. but American Horror Story. I just feel like after like the second season, uh, what was what was the third season? Coven.
0: Yeah, witches. Yeah,
1: yeah, like Coven. I felt like they just started, like, just losing their grip on what it's like to write a story from start to finish. And they have a nasty way of doing, like, okay, here's an introduction. Okay, where the hell are you going? Okay, I kind of like this. Oh, we're almost done. And then just dropping the ball and shitting the bed the last episode of, like, almost every season. Season. Oh
0: shit, we we gotta
1: kill everybody now.
0: Yeah. Oh crap, we gotta make a tie into which
1: season do we need to tie in this season, guys? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they started doing that. They're like, okay, every episode, every season's tied, every season comes together. And they showed you like somebody's coffee cup on the uh do on the freak show season. They started kind of tying it in and like on cult, they do a couple name drops. But it's almost in a way it's like, oh, did you see what we did there? We just mentioned so and so, and I don't know.
0: Comic book character was an actual character. For yeah,
1: a, yeah. Release, it's you know. kind of like you guys are just—I don't know. I appreciate the idea behind that, but yeah. at the same time, you're just you're trying too fucking hard. Like that's a reach. But yeah, they're just—they're notorious for. Oh fuck, we have one episode left, guys. Let's. Um, everybody dies. <laughs> everybody dies. But – or they suffer from that, oh, crap, we have one episode left. Um, Let's just time travel. Let's just skip 18 months so we can wrap up our story because we spent too long on one concept for like three episodes. So,
0: Now, I I liked Hotel. I thought Hotel was a pretty decent
1: season. Yeah. A a decent one in a while. It at least had a steady concept from start to finish, and it was good in its own bizarreness. Yep. This – cult man they had a good idea and i appreciate the poetic justice of like oh current society is the horror because yeah they they had some good points but they also tried a little too hard to be like oops see see here what we're doing yep and then that whole like charles manson had no real business being in that season either this season have you got to that part
0: uh, I think I'm on that episode. Surprise! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause that's what it's titled. Uh, I think the actual title of the episodes like uh, Charles Manson in charge. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. They have really good ideas, but they either try too hard or they never fully, you know, immerse that idea. They just mention it and walk away from it.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Have you been watching any of mind hunters on uh, Netflix? Uh, no. Okay. It's pretty awesome. It's it's kind of a nice little serial show. Oh, pun intended, about um, no. these, the two dudes who kind of pioneered the uh, psychology and studying serial killers to find out that they all may potentially think alike. And I think it's. Dare, it. I think Daredevil dropped today. No, you idiot. Punisher. No, Punisher. Did you ever watch sorry. Daredevil yet? Yeah. <laughs> one, yeah. And two? Finally, I finally got through it. Yeah. Season one and season two. Do you like it? Yep. I did. Yeah, it's pretty good, wasn't it? I like it. Yeah. That. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Punisher drops. Um, today, yeah. Today, as we record, it's Friday, the 17th, and Punisher drops. So hopefully, Shayla doesn't like to binge things. She likes to like just enjoy them, slow burn. So I'm sure we'll only get to watch like one or two episodes a day. So that's going to, that's going to hurt because, you know, people are probably already writing spoiler reviews (laughs) (laughs) on the whole season.
0: Yeah. But off the internet.
1: Yeah. We'll check it out. I just, I don't know. Marvel shows on Netflix are pretty great all in all, but. I'm telling you, dude, a villain makes a show, in my opinion. Heroes are cool, but Marvel has a nasty habit of making your your protagonist fight the antagonist, Mm -hmm. and it's really just Mm -hmm. themselves, and there's such a rich history of villains. And I'm getting kind of tired of these, like, terrestrial mob bosses that everybody has to fight. Like, just give me some creep who fucking shoots thunderbolts out of his fingers or something. Give me something besides, like... Mob bosses and gang leaders. That'd be kind of cool once in a while. Modoc, Yeah, that's all we need to Modoc, Yeah, that'd be badass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Thor Ragnarok. You watch that?
0: Yeah. You like it? Fucking
1: kick that was ass. That's pretty good, wasn't it? It's was pretty yeah. fun. That's a pretty good show. I, uh, I want to go watch Justice League, but I don't want to go see Justice League. No. Marvel's kind of like uh, – DC movies are kind of like American Horror Story. They're great stories, and they're fantastic, but they have, like, an hour and a half of crap that just doesn't need to be in it on every movie. I feel like Man of Steel could have been such a great movie if they just cut out about an hour. Right. Everything Kevin Costner related, just get rid of it. Right. Yeah, they just – I don't know. They try too hard to make a three-hour movie and not hard enough to fill that three hours with, like, quality content. Like Batman vs Superman, I liked it. I can't imagine there was an extended cut because the original cut was like yeah. freaking painful to get through, man. And it'd almost be a better like mini series, I think, than it would have been a full movie. But I don't know. They have great parts. It's just the parts are better than the sum, you know. And then that other pile
0: of shit that they released um, with the the Joker.
1: Uh, oh, Suicide Squad. The, yeah. 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 Yeah, supposedly like Leto's completely out, like they've completely relinquished him or he walked away because, you know, the the rumor was he said that there's enough content of just Joker scenes that he filmed and Harley scenes, there could literally be an entire Joker Harley movie out of just the the stuff that didn't make it into the movie and he's like, you know, I dedicated you know, what a year and a half of his yeah. entire life to that part. And he's in the movie for like eight minutes, maybe, yeah. maybe not even that. So that's, that's got to hurt, man. Cause his Joker was super goofy, but again, you're holding him up to Heath Ledger. Yep. And that's kind of hard. Like it's a whole different take on the Joker character. Cause you know, you're not going to fill Heath's shoes. So go with a whole different, just a whole different approach to it. So apparently he is no longer in it, but then Martin Scorsese is behind a Joker origin story, and this would be like the definitive this is where the Joker came from story. But they're not gonna have uh, Jared Leto in it, it's gonna have somebody else portraying the Joker. So, oh, damn it. yeah, we'll see. I don't know, that's that's DC's problem. DC is a lot like Marvel as far as like Fox goes, like Fox is doing their Marvel shows and or their Marvel movies, and it's kind of like a oh, shit, just can you know, do your thing, it doesn't really count, but whatever. <laughs>
0: yeah. Go watch uh, Deadpool's uh, teaser trailer. That's pretty Deadpool good. Yeah. That was with fun. Bob Ross. Yeah. That was uh, fun. Don't watch The Inhumans. There's a free episode on Netflix. It's a pile of shit.
1: Ooh, that, yeah. Somebody said Inhumans is kind of like Marvel's uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's, it's just big, giant pile of shit. Yeah, dude. That's the thing. Like, I think DC television shows are pretty awesome, but their movies suck. And I think Marvel syndicated, like, cable shows are. I never watched uh, Agents of Shield, but for the most part, like their their attempts, shit. <laughs> their cable shows are shit. Their Netflix shows are great, and they're they're yeah. branching out. Like that Marvel universe is spreading out. I think the um, the Runaways is going to be on like Hulu or Lifetime or some shit. But I, I don't know. Again, we're kind of saturating shit, and when you let people too many people take over your your franchises, you start to kind of lose it. But yeah. we'll see what happens. Who knows? Maybe we'll be proven wrong. I'd like to be excited about some of those shows i am excited to see new mutants though that is the oh uh, yeah that looks pretty good man and they're they're running it as a horror movie like it is supposed to be a horror movie with marvel mutants in it so that'll be pretty fun
0: yeah Tr- trailer for that's out
1: yeah go watch pretty it. good i just want to know who the uh the villain's gonna be and demon it, bear is that what it is i don't know anything about demon bear other, yeah. Other place, than the like that's the uh,
0: that's the main villain. So basically like, you know, you're going to have all this other paranormal shit, like, you know, you see in the trailer like some ghost faces popping through the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But then whatever event, they don't really tell you what event leads up to that. Something but happens, then, yeah. But something happens and then that main villain that we get at the end is going to be Demon Bear. So. Okay.
1: And it's supposed to be like a three movie arc. It's supposed to be like a trilogy of movies. So that could be cool too. I still a villain makes the movie. You can make badass heroes all you want. A villain makes the movie. And if you're gonna go terrestrial earth, you know, villains, Spider Man Homecoming nailed it for me. You had the vulture. And I bought that dude hook, line, and sinker, everything about it, his motive, his his reason for just being a nasty bastard and instead of like, you know, a, a solid dude. I I bought it. He was solid. Spider-Man is cool. You can't really do Spider-Man that wrong. Even Maguire did a decent job at Spidey, but like your villains, what really seals the deal yeah. and brings that shit home. So
0: I didn't get through that one all the way yet. I, I bought it on uh voodoo. Oh, and, really? Uh, I, you know, you know those nights where I'm like, I'm gonna get on and game, and then I <laughs> lay in bed and I watch a movie, and then I fall half asleep halfway through the movie. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's like, oh, fuck, I got to restart this movie, and
1: then I get like 20 minutes in further and fall asleep again. I'm like, god damn. It. That's what happened with American Horror Story. It's like an 11 hour venture to watch right. all 11 episodes, and I think it took me like 20 hours.
0: So I just get falling asleep. <laughs> got to restart it again. Damn it. Yeah,
1: that's it. All right, guys, we'll get out of your hair, Preston. What should they listen to? Uh, Oh,
0: indeed, from Mm -hmm. uh, Big Steve and Brady. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, All the other pixelated sausage, pixelated sausage cast, Mark's solo, whatever the, what's Mark's shit called? (laughs) Pixelated sausage. (laughs) Pixelated sausage is sports car unleashed from Rich.
1: Yes, and pixelated radio. Pixelated radio is Rob's other show with Mark. And sometimes Cory and sometimes Rich. So, good stuff. You see the theme here, pixelated. Yeah, I'm seeing a common thread there. And if you have a beard, want a beard, or know somebody who has a beard, check out BigDobbsBeardBomb.com. Fantastic stuff. He just put out some beard combs um, yeah. a couple days ago on his website. Those are pretty fantastic, too. Sometimes you don't want to carry a giant, gaping boar's hair brush in your back pocket. You want something sleek and sexy. So, check out those beard combs. Are they all wood? I don't know. They almost look like they're a resin or something. I think they were like uh, gray and white kind of swirly patterns. So I don't think they're wood. I had a wood beard comb and it had a split in the wood grain and then it started pulling beard hairs out. And for mm. crying out loud, that's kind of painful. So
0: I had a really great wood one and it absorbed all the oils that I put in my beard. Yeah. So it's like it was a natural oil diffuser that I could just.
1: Right yeah, through. yeah, yeah. That's how my boar's hair is. But I always use a boar hair. <laughs> Man, this podcast, this episode was <laughs> art appreciation, Sean and Preston's uh. opinions of movies and Marvel shows, and beard <laughs> grooming. <laughs> uh. I use a boar's hair brush a lot of times after lunch to kind of comb out like the, the breadcrumbs and stuff out of my beard, and I should probably replace that thing. It's getting kind of funky. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah check out big yeah, com and use our special code, P-X-L-P-A-R-A for 20% off your entire order. A lot of money. You Save yourself a lot of money on that. And check out the classic scent of the Beard Balms that so far has been my favorite. I've had the, uh, the uh, 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 Classic, and I've had the Citrus, and I've also had the Dundee Cedar, and they all three are great, but Classic is where it's at. Hmm. I like the classic as well Yeah, I need to re-up on that I'm getting a little low I need to get me some more I'm thinking about doing the Bay Rum they got a Bay Rum smell mm. mm-hmm. probably coconutty maybe it could be and they've got a uh, vanilla and tobacco as well Ooh, yeah. you had me at tobacco <laughs> you had me at tobacco <laughs> okay guys that's enough thank you especially <laughs> for listening to this episode <laughs> we're hoping to get Rob back next time and maybe keep us in line I notice yeah. when Rob's on Episodes last about an hour. And when <laughs> Rob's not here, they get a lot of bonus content that is yeah. probably not worth a nickel. But, eh, yeah, you get to know us better. It's kind of an intimate look at Sean and Preston. Yeah.
0: Just think of all those other podcasts. They fucking charge you for that extra hour of content. <laughs> no, we sure. give it to you fucking free. Baby. Yeah,
1: our bonus segments are free. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> okay guys, thank you so much. We will catch you next time around. Hey, and also real quick, <laughs> if you have any third manifest, flow state, or disappearing object stories, shoot us an email, the informations at the end of the episode, shoot us a message, hit up our facebook page send us a personal message there a dm shoot send one of us people email, people message me a lot individually just myself which is cool shoot me any uh a message on facebook yeah okay. reach out let us know we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear some stories and i've got a pretty awesome follow-up to a listener story we dropped a few episodes back i've got a follow-up from um Diane's sister. Diane sent us some stories about a haunted house she grew up in, and her sister has uh, shot me some follow-up stuff. So, we'll get into that when Rob gets back. So, okay, guys, with that, thank you so much. We will really leave this time. Have a great week. Peace out, Girl Scouts.
0: The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown, Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. You have two ways. One, email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we have that set up too. Dial us at 707-523-4263. Again, that's 707-523-4263. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.
1: And she goes to. Oh, fucking hell. She goes to fucking hell? (laughs) Man, this got metal quick. She goes to hell. Straight to hell.